I'm going to ask our guest speaker, George Lawson, to come to the platform at this time. Um, it is with great joy that I introduce you to, to you, Pastor George Lawson from the Baltimore Bible Church in Baltimore. Um, I met George a little over a year ago at, uh, at John MacArthur's ministry, um, a shepherd's conference. It's a pastor's conference out there. Um, you graduated from the Master's Seminary. What year did you graduate, George? It was in uh, 2010. 2010. But you grew up in the Baltimore area? Actually, grew up in uh, New York. Oh, in New York. Okay, yeah, I'll let you tell your I've story. I've been all around the place. All around. Yeah. All right. Well, um, many of you know the name Matt White. He's a young man that came up out of our ministry. He's now on the pastoral staff with John MacArthur at Grace Community Church. Um, when he went out to cemetery, cemetery, yeah, <laughs> out to seminary, and uh, um, Matt, uh, when I was at the Shepherds Conference, Matt came up to me and said, "There's this guy you got to meet." And he's from over in Baltimore. He's going to plant a church in Baltimore. And he took me over, grabbed me by the sleeve and took me over. And, and it, we struck in the conversation. And I just um, was really encouraged by the, just the spirit and countenance of George Lawson and, and what his heartbeat was to do for the gospel in downtown Baltimore. Downtown Baltimore is a real important place to us because that's where the University of Maryland Medical Center is. And six years ago this week, Right now is uh, when Deanna Martin gave Janet one of her kidneys, and that has just been so uh, dramatically uh, impacting on the good health of my wife, Janet, and we're so thankful for that. And so we've been down downtown Baltimore a lot of times, and, and now you're trying to plant a church. Um, I want you to do two things right now before you open the word. Um, Andy's going to come back and sing. But, George, I just thought since you're new to us, take a minute and introduce you and your family to us. Tell us about yourself and your family. And then tell us about the vision for Baltimore Bible Church and what's happening and how this group of people can pray um, and be a part of that ministry. Okay? Absolutely. Do that for a minute. Speaking. Well, it's uh, great to see you guys tonight and uh, looking forward to getting into the Word. And I've met a, a few of you already and looking forward to meeting more of you uh, later on. I did bring my family with me since it's a family camp, you know, retreat here. So we've got my wife, Jennifer, right down here in the, the purple. Uh, further down past, uh, here I am, Judy. I, I was going to say Judy and I'm like, I'm going to be wrong on the microphone. So anyway, beyond Judy, who is our, our host for tonight. So thank you, Judy, for uh, hosting us. Have my youngest daughter, Cara. Uh, next to her is uh, Micah in the backwards hat. You can you can you can keep the hat on, son. And then uh, next to to him is uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Carice. So uh, 15, 13, and 11. And uh, Jennifer, I've uh, been my wife for uh, going on 17 years. It's been uh, 16 years already. Married in uh, 1998. So uh, thank God for my wife. So uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in upstate New York. I grew up in Albany. So uh, if you sing a song about a country boy, you got to sing one about a city boy too. So uh, looking forward to hearing that from you, Andy. So uh, I grew up in uh, upstate New York in Albany. And uh, well, I, I grew up in a, in a Oneness Pentecostal family. And some of you might not know what that means, but it was a church that didn't teach the truth about who God was. Um, I learned that there wasn't a Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit didn't exist. Uh, it was a Unitarian uh, uh, form of, of who God was. And uh, baptism was very important. They actually believed that you were saved at baptism, that that's how you were, uh, how you entered into eternal life. Uh, I grew up just being really confused. I uh, thought that that was the, the truth. I uh, met a lot of people who didn't believe that. And uh, it wasn't until later on when I actually uh, uh, took a trip, uh, spent some time with my aunt and uncle in, uh, in Maryland, and she introduced me to some believers. My aunt introduced me to some believers uh, that just opened up the Word of God to me. Uh, for a while, I used to argue with them. You know, they, they were explaining the gospel to me, explaining what the scripture said, and I used to argue, thinking that I knew what I was talking about. And uh, eventually, 
eventually I found out that what I was really arguing with was not them, it was with the Bible. And uh, I knew that that was wrong. Uh, so after a while, I, I, I finally broke down, and uh, after one particular conversation, just understood that, you, you know what, I'm, I'm wrong about salvation, about everything that I've, I've, I've learned. You know, what the scriptures are, are saying is the, is the truth. Uh, God opened up my eyes, and I, I graciously, uh, you know, uh, God graciously opened up my eyes, and uh, I gave my life to him that night. Uh, the next day, I wanted to talk to, like, anything moving about the gospel. I was uh, taking a bus on my way to work, and I'm just like, hey, do you know the gospel? I want to, you know, I just got saved last night, and I'm just like, I mean, anybody. It's just like I want to get the gospel out there. And uh, originally, I just thought I was going to be, uh, you know, maybe an evangelist and just kind of do open-air preaching. I, I love doing that. actually did that uh, um, just this past summer in, in Baltimore. We did some open-air uh, evangelism, and I uh, had a fantastic outreach week, uh, connected with a lot of people. So originally, I thought I was just going to do a lot of uh, open-air evangelism and tell people about the gospel. And then I started realizing that there were people who were in the church uh, that really didn't understand the, the transforming value of the scriptures. Um, so there was a lot of people that, you know, on the weekends, they're, you know, kind of doing what they want to do during the week, not really uh, uh, seeing the, the effect of the Bible in their life. And, and I just said, I, I want people to understand that the Bible can transform your life. If, if you believe this book, this, this is like the end of everything. This is a game changer. If you believe in the scriptures as the word of God. And uh, so it just became more of my passion to just teach people the truth, to open up the scriptures and see people connected with God uh, through his word. And uh, I can go, go through the long story, but I uh, went from, I uh, actually moved to, to Maryland after I got connected with these guys. Uh, went from there to uh, another church, which is a, a church uh, that was started out of a, uh, out of Master Seminary. A guy that uh, graduated from Master Seminary started a church in, in Columbia, Maryland. Uh, was faithful at his church for a while. Got sent out to seminary, uh, where I graduated in 2010. After uh, I graduated from seminary, I went to Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, spent two years there, so uh, so this is kind of familiar territory to me, at least like being in the woods and everything. And uh, in Little Rock, I actually remember being there. I was a student ministries pastor. And I was like, are, "Are you sure you want me to to do this?" It's like you, you know where I'm from, right? You know, did they ever see a picture of me? You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, I, I spent a couple years in, in Little Rock, and uh, and then I, as I was kind of traveling back and forth from Maryland. Uh, really started uh, hearing a lot of stories about uh, just just a lot of poor teaching that was going on in, in Baltimore, especially in the city. Um, I had already had a heart for uh, church planning in the city. I was originally thinking maybe D.C. or someplace else. Uh, but there was a, a number of people that were coming to my, my home church, the church that I left out of in Maryland, uh, who came from Baltimore because they had just left a, a really horrible uh, situation. Uh, a pastor was unfaithful, immoral, and uh, and really deceived a lot of people and uh, left a lot of devastation in, in the wake of that. And uh, uh, had like three or four people talk to me in a row, you know, have you ever considered going to Baltimore? Have you ever considered Baltimore? And uh, eventually talked to the, the senior pastor and just said, hey, what's what's going on in Baltimore? And uh, he let me know about, you know, what had happened and some of the, these people that started coming down to Columbia, uh, the Hope Bible Church is the, the name of my home church. And uh, he said, you know, if, if you'd like to start a, a church plant, you know, uh, this would be a right time. And this is a great group of people to do it with. Uh, my home church supported us, you know, uh, in the beginning. Um, they actually, you know, cut loose like, you know, 25 people from their, their church, which is phenomenal. You know, a lot of churches just want to, you know, build it up as big as we can. And, and this church was just looking to say, how, how can we invest into the ministry and, and the lives of other people? Uh, so they cut like 25 people loose. And we got started in Baltimore in July of uh, last year. We're about to uh, celebrate our, our one-year anniversary. And it's grown from that group of 25 to now we're about 70 to 80 people. And uh, the Lord is just doing a phenomenal work in, in Baltimore. Uh, we're just, uh, like our, our motto, what we always say is we just want to loose the scriptures and let them speak. I always tell people what I have to say really isn't all that important. What the Bible has to say is eternally important. 
and, uh, and that's all we want to do is we just want to be faithful to the scriptures. So a couple of ways you guys can uh, be praying for us is uh, development of leaders. That's always uh, number you know one on, on our list that we want to see uh, other people raised up for the ministry. Uh, you can pray for me and my family as uh, we're kind of in the thick of things and uh, things are just really busy uh, for us. And one huge request right now is uh, we're looking for, uh, for a building to, uh, to, to, to meet in. Uh, we've been using a church in the afternoon and we're kind of coming to the end of, of that, the lease for, uh, or for the space that we're using. Uh, so if you guys could be praying for us, we're actually up on the lease at the end of this month. So this is like urgent prayer requests. So if you guys could be praying for us uh, for a, a building to meet in in Baltimore, or if you guys know of anybody that knows of a place to meet in Baltimore, you can come and talk to me. And uh, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to turn our attention to the book of, of Daniel, uh, the, the book of, of Daniel. Uh, for those of you that are turning there, I just want to remind you that uh, this is a first-hand account written by Daniel himself. And uh, we know that not only because of the uh, first-person pronouns uh, that are used in the book, uh, but Jesus himself also affirms that this book came from the pen of, of Daniel. In uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Uh, Jesus understood that this book was written by Daniel, and we understand that as well. And there's modern critics that try to say otherwise, uh, but usually that's because they deny the God of Daniel. Uh, and, and we understand that the God of, of Daniel is a God who can predict the future. And a lot of people have a problem with that, that Daniel is so accurate uh, when he comes to the, to the future. But we understand uh, that God can uh, predict the future with absolute accuracy. Uh, so as we uh, look at this, I, I'm just going to introduce the, the book to you. We're going to be in this book uh, not only tonight, but tomorrow as well. And uh, I just want to read a couple verses from chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he had drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Uh, Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, for your word. Uh, this is uh, the, the revealed word of God, and we treasure it. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through it and uh, that you'd use me as a uh, weak instrument in, in your hands uh, to bless your people. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. How many of you saw the, the reports from uh, the tornado that touched down in, in Little Rock? You remember that just about a, a month ago? 
I don't know how many times I've seen reports like that about tornadoes touching down in some part of the country. And uh, I might pause for a minute and maybe pray for some of the families that were affected or uh, think about the winds and how violent and uh, powerful uh, the winds of a tornado are. Or uh, maybe think about, you know, what would it be like for, you know, my family to lose everything we had because of a bad storm. You know, I might think about that for a while. The, the report that I just heard about last month was, was a lot different than, than other reports that I've heard, and uh, that's because I used to live in Little Rock. Uh, the county that was touched down, uh, that the, uh, the tornado touched down, was actually the county uh, that I used to live in, Pulaski County. And uh, the tornado, the, the first spot that the tornado touched down in Pulaski County was actually a, a, a family that goes to the, to the church that I used to minister in, uh, the Bible Church of, of Little Rock, and uh, three people out of a family of 11 died that, that I knew personally. Uh, uh, Rob Tittle uh, was the, the father. Uh, he worked at Family Life, uh, just a, a really uh, you know, fun-loving guy. He, he went out on different retreats with us, lockouts. He used to always offer his van vehicle to, to drive uh, students around in. I knew his girls, his uh, uh, two girls, Tori, who was 20, and Rebecca, who was uh, 14. They both lost their lives as well, as, uh, along with their father. Um, lost their lives in the in the tornado I, I i knew the girls you know they were always respectful you could tell they were raised in a in a christian home they knew their bibles and uh in a matter of four seconds uh carrie tittle who's uh, who's the wife said it, it was just four seconds and it went from a family of 11 to a family of eight in four seconds everything was gone there, there wasn't even like a stick standing up if you if you've seen any of the the pictures uh from that event uh i mean that the whole house was just totally wiped out in four, four seconds. Uh, I, re- I remember uh, uh, being in Little Rock. I, I actually remember a time when uh, uh, there was a tornado siren that, that, uh, that sounded, and, and me and my family kind of gathered in the, the hallway at first. And then the winds outside got so bad, we actually rushed into our, our bathroom and uh, pulled the mattress from, from one of the beds and, you know, just to try to, try to shield us in case, you know, the, the worst happened. Um, fortunately, the family knew the Lord. Um, but, but like I said, there's, it's, it affected me differently. And one of the things that, that I just thought about a lot is that there's, there's really no time to prepare yourself for something like that. Four seconds isn't, isn't any time to prepare yourself if you, you know that the, the next couple of seconds you're going to meet the Lord. There's no time to prepare when the storm strikes. You need to be prepared before the storm strikes, right? Similar thing to the, to the family. The, the, the family had no time to prepare for, uh, for losing three family members and, and losing the house that they lived in uh, for so many years. There was no time to prepare before that storm, you know, uh, to prepare during the storm. You had to be prepared before the, the storm uh, struck. And uh, really when I look at the, the book of, of Daniel, um, I'm reminded of that. Uh, because when the, the, the storm, and, and storms can take different, different forms, but you had this, this storm that struck the land of, of Judah, and there was no time for, for Daniel and his friends to, to prepare themselves after it already happened. After they were carted away from the, the land that they knew, the family that they knew, the surroundings that they were, they were around, there was no time to prepare themselves uh, for that after it already happened. When they were carted off to, to Babylon, it was too late. They already had to know who their God was before they left. It's impossible to overemphasize the importance of uh, making sure your family's prepared for disaster. And I'm not just talking about natural disaster, uh, any kind of uh, disaster, hurricane, tornado. But, but uh, being prepared spiritually is what I'm talking about. Being prepared spiritually. Do you know where to turn to when tragedy strikes your home? 
Would you be prepared to meet the Lord if the time came for you? Would you be able to stand if you were uh, persecuted for your faith? And we, we love the freedoms that we have in our country, but who knows how long that's going to last, right? Uh, more and more, there's uh, you know, religious freedoms that are being in, infringed upon. Uh, you don't have to be a cultural genius to see that. Uh, and the question I have is, are we preparing the next generation for, for what's to come? And uh, there are, these are some of the reasons I think it's important for us to turn to Daniel, uh, because it teaches us how to stand strong in the face of a storm. Uh, this is a dark time in Israel's history. The, the golden age of Israel's past is long gone. Uh, during the reigns of David and Solomon, Israel experienced uh, expansion, prosperity. Uh, actually, the Queen of Sheba once remarked that uh, she didn't believe the reports until she came and her eyes actually saw what was going on in, uh, in Jerusalem. And it said, she said that it exceeded her expectations, the prosperity of the land. But that was over 300 years ago by the point that the Daniel's uh, uh, being written. Uh, Israel was already split. The ten tribes are to the north and the, the two tribes were to the south. Uh, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And uh, even the, the, the northern uh, tribes at this point were already wiped out. Uh, the world powers of Egypt uh, to the south and the, the west of uh, Babylon uh, was to the east and, uh, and Assyria. These world powers uh, defeated uh, 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 the, the, the nation of, of Israel and also uh, uh, even uh, Assyria and, and, uh, and uh, Egypt were actually uh, overtaken by, by Babylon. And uh, Daniel confessed that the, the reason why this happened was because of the sins of, of Israel. The sins of, of Israel he actually prayed in Daniel chapter 9. He says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from the commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Uh, the reason why Judah was taken over by Babylon was because of disobedience. Uh, they followed after other gods. They refused to obey the commands of, of God. Uh, they, they forsook the, uh, the, the Sabbath days. And now they're being punished for their, their sins. They're being stripped of, of basically everything here. And uh, the question that I have is often when, you, uh, when different things are being cut from your life, you know, what's the thing that you grab onto? The, the thing that you grab onto is what you believe has the most security, right? Like if you're being kind of suspended by a hundred different ropes, what's the one that you cling to? The one that you think is going to hold you up, right? And here you have uh, these different kind of ropes being cut from the life of, of Judah, and uh, some of those ropes were security, uh, comfort. You know, maybe for you it might be uh, family or friends or school. I mean, who, who knows what that is for you? But as those ropes are being cut, what do you grab onto? Uh, Judah was robbed of her national security, national security. And in, uh, in Daniel, <coughs> we have uh, uh, the, the the land of uh, of Judah actually being taken over, uh, as I mentioned, uh, by uh, uh, Babylon. When you think about this, this isn't supposed to be happening uh, because Jerusalem is the, the, the city of God. In uh, Psalm 87, verses 1 to 3, it says, His foundation is His holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. This is the, the, the city of God. What is the city of God doing being torn apart? But this is what you have going on in the, the book of, of Daniel. The, the, the national security is, is lost. Another thing that you have that's lost is their visible leadership. The visible leadership was, was lost as well. And in Daniel chapter uh, 1, verse 1, again, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. Verse 2, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the, the house of God. So here you have uh, Jehoiakim, who's given over uh, to the, the nation of, of Babylon as, as well. 
Uh, kings weren't treated too kindly by those that conquered them. In uh, Judges chapter 1, you have uh, one instance that was given of uh, a guy who was captured. Uh, it's uh, Adonai Bezek. And Bezek fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table, as I have done so God has repaid me. So they brought him Jerusalem to Jerusalem, and he died there. They didn't treat kings too well when they found him. You're likely to, 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 to be just kind of used as a, as a trophy, you know, for whoever the, the conquering nation was. You know, look at what we can do with your king. And here you have the, the king Jehoiakim who's uh, uh, being taken off to, to Babylon. So you have the, not only the, the national security that's gone, but now the, the visible leadership is taken away and, and removed. Uh, the next thing that you have taken away from Judah was the external rituals, external rituals. Again, in uh, verse 2, it says, uh, they took along some of the vessels of the house of God. Something's wrong with that picture, doesn't it seem? How, how do you take away the vessels of the house of, of God? I mean, these are the things that we use to worship the Lord. How are these things going to be taken away? And it would actually seem like the gods of Babylon defeated the God of Israel. When the vessels of, of God are being taken away. It would have seemed like uh, their god, Marduk, was the, the name of their god. It would have seemed like Marduk was victorious over the, the god of, of Israel. And Judah might have expected that a plague would break out or something. You know, they, they're touching the, the articles of, of God. How does this happen? But there's no such plague that happens to Babylon. It seems like they're getting away with it. How are the children of Israel to serve God without making use of these external rituals now? The vessels are gone and so is the temple. And for some of you, you, you know, as the, the kids are, are growing up and leaving, I, I was talking to, to one uh, parent here and talked about their child being a senior uh, this year and going off to college. Uh, the question is for, for you seniors or those that are looking forward to college, what are, what are you going to do when the, the external kind of trappings are being taken away from you? You don't have your family to depend on anymore necessarily, not going to the same church, not connected to the same people you used to be connected to. What's going to happen to you? Not only was... Uh, the external rituals taken away. The, the fourth thing that was taken away was their, their physical home. For some of these people, their physical home was also taken. In uh, verse 3, it says, uh, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the, the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. I mean, can you imagine being ripped away from your home and taken hundreds of miles away from everything that you know? As a teenager, most of these were teenagers between 15 and 18 that were taken away to, to Babylon. Can't even understand the language of the people that are taking you away. Can't even communicate with them to find out what's going on. And here you have these teenagers taken away, ripped from their homes at a young age. This is basically the, the Babylonian version of the college acceptance letter. You know, you've been, uh, congratulations, you've been, uh, we've read your transcript. We see that you're bright, intelligent, and uh, you've been accepted into the University of Babylon. You know, we want you for the next three years. Took them away and uh, trained them in all the, the language of, of uh, in the literature of of Babylon and the, the Chaldeans. Uh, this was the first of uh, three deportations. There was one in 605 where Daniel and his friends would have been taken. There's another one in 597, and the worst was in uh, 586, 586 or 87. 
when uh, Jerusalem was totally destroyed. So what they did, like I said, they made a, a list of the best and the brightest in Israel. This would have been a who's who. You know, who's got the most potential? And they picked them, and they picked them young on purpose. Why? Because if they're, they're young enough, they're, they're more impressionable. You know, we don't want the best and the brightest of the old folks. We want the best and the brightest of the young folks. Why? Because we can, we can change them. If, if we get them for three years, we can change their minds. And that's what they figured. The plan was to educate them for, for three years. And basically they said, give me three years of your life and I'll have you for the rest of your life. That's the, the, the kind of philosophy that Babylon had. How, how, how long do we give colleges? Four or more? <laughs> I'm not saying don't go to college. Don't, don't go home and tell your parents that, right? You know, this preacher told me not to go to college. I'm not saying that. I am saying that you need to be careful, right? You need to be careful about what you're, you're taking in. So here you have these uh, people that are brought off to, to Babylon, educated for, for three years. And, and Babylon says, if you give them, give, them, give, give them to me for three years and I'll have them for the rest of their, their lives. We want the best and the brightest. And then the, the fifth thing that was taken away from Judah was uh, their individual identity. Individual identity. You have the, the king who takes these young men. In verse 5, it says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food, from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And the, the purpose of this, you know, reassignment of, of names is, is basically, he, he wanted to say that you're mine. You, you belong to me now. He's trying to change their, their identity. You know, what, whatever you had back in Judah, that no longer exists. Now it's all about what we're teaching you. We're in charge. Babylon's in charge. And we're going to give you Babylonian names. Ultimately, they wanted to capture them whole. Intellect, emotions, will, they wanted them. Intellectually, they wanted them to think like Babylonians. In both language and literature, they wanted these Israelites to appreciate uh, what they considered the superior value of the, the Babylonian culture, language, and the Chaldeans, which was uh, uh, the, basically the uh, uh, Chaldea was uh, like a, um, basically the outskirts of, of Babylon. Babylon was like the city, and uh, the, the Chaldeans were like, kind of like the, the country cousins, and uh, kind of merged them to, together uh, for this uh, kind of uh, training. Uh, actually, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, known as a Chaldean. So you have this, uh, they're, they're trying to teach them the, the language and, and literature of, uh, of their country. Emotionally, they wanted their affection. So uh, how, how do they, uh, they figure they could gain their affection? You know, they're going to give them the king's choice food. You know, I'll give you the, the best that we have. I'll give you the, the king's food, the king's wine. You know, we, we want you to be emotionally attached to us. And figured the best way to do that was through their, their stomachs. Let's feed them the best that we have to give. It would have been like a flattering gift to give them the, the, the food that came from the king's table. And then finally, they thought they could bend their, their wills and uh, actually change their identity. Because basically, like, what, what allegiance could you have to that God in Judah that left you hanging? You know, we're the ones that defeated you. You're not still going to be, uh, you know, connected to this God that you have back in Judah that... that allowed us to, to come in and, and actually take his vessels. Are you still going to be connected to this God? So they changed their names. Instead of uh, Daniel, which means God is judge, let's change your name to, to Belteshazzar, which means Bella's prince or Bella's protector. You know, let's name you by one of our gods instead of your God. 
to Hananiah, which means God is gracious. Let's, let's change your name to, to I am fearful of God. And again, one of, one of their gods. Mishael means who is like our God. They changed his name to, to Meshach, which means I am of little account. I am despised. You know, who is like your God? We'll, we'll call you the despised one. Azariah, God has helped me. They changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo, servant of the shining one. So all this was really like a slam against the God of, of Israel. You know, now you're, you're, you're owned by us, you're known by our gods, and uh, you guys just need to come, come on over. And what you have going on here in, in, in verse 8 is that you have Daniel not objecting to, to reading their literature. He says, I'll, I'll read your literature if you want me to read the literature, okay? He didn't object to his name being changed. Actually, you have uh, other people in Scripture like uh, Joseph. Uh, his name was, was changed to uh, uh, Zaphnath Paneah in uh, Genesis chapter 41 when he uh, went into to Egypt. He didn't object to his name being changed. He says, you can call me whatever you want to. But what he did object to was losing his religion, to losing his God. And in verse 8, you have Daniel saying, but, but Daniel, uh, the Scripture saying, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So what you have is Daniel had a, had a this strict adherence to the Jewish dietary laws. And uh, he went at risk being defiled by the king's food. And, uh, and here you have Daniel and his three friends being singled out, which is kind of interesting because there are a lot more than four people that entered into Babylon. Why, why are Daniel and his friends mentioned? Basically because everybody else caved in. Everybody else caved in. The fact that these four were singled out implies that the vast majority of these uh, people that were brought to Babylon never made a peep. They just went along with it, accepted the king's food, and went along with the, the program. And it would have been exceedingly difficult for these young men to stand against the, the tide. It would, have, it would have been overwhelming for them to do this. Uh, just real quick, uh, listen to this description of, of what Babylon looked like. Entering into Babylon, as the captives from Judah made their dreary journey to Babylon, they must have felt even more helpless and hopeless when they caught their first glimpse of the most magnificent city which had been built until that time. Approaching from the north with the Euphrates River on their left and the setting sun on their right, they observed walls of such magnitude that no military engine of war was capable of breaching them. The walls rose 60 to 80 feet high, and every 60 feet was a tower which sustained the wall and stored implements of warfare. The wall was 45 feet thick, and served as an expressway for chariots to drive around on the wall while fending off any approaching enemy or carrying military uh, supplies from towers to points of defense. Uh, chariots could be driven across this wall. It's uh, six across. Six chariots across could drive across this wall in uh, Babylon, a phenomenon never achieved before. The city had no parallel. Assuming the captives passed through the Ishtar Gate, which was uh, in Babylon, they would have immediately entered upon a road called the Processional Way, each square of the road had an engraving which, marked, which, uh, which was marked to the honor of Marduk, the god of Babylon. Anyone who would have uh, thought of escaping would notice that the orange sidewalks were bordered by 40 to 60 feet high walls. Uh, continuing along this route, they would have seen Nebuchadnezzar's palace had uh, walls of uh, 135 feet thick. Can you imagine that? 135 feet thick walls. And every brick that was used in the first 35 feet of the wall was inscribed with his name. And uh, the hanging gardens in his palace was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. As they went further down, they would have come to the uh, intersection of Marduk Way. This is the, the, the temple to their God. It was known as the temple between heaven and earth. And the lowest pedestal was as large as a football field both ways. 
and it rose to a great height. So as, as these young men enter the, the city of, of Babylon, it would have been overwhelming to them. They would have never seen anything like this before. And to think about standing against the might of Babylon that just defeated uh, Judah would have been unthinkable to some of these people. And for all intents and purposes, it seemed like the God of Israel lost to a more powerful deity. And uh, for some of those that entered Babylon that day, losing their national security, their visible leadership, their external rituals, their physical home, and their individual identity was enough to make them lose their God. And they, they, just, they just put them to the side. And the question is, is, is what are you willing to give up your God for? When, when everything else seems like it's crumbling around you, what are you going to cling to? What are you clinging to? And for, for Daniel, what he held on to was the unshakable trust in a sovereign God. Unshakable trust in a sovereign God. Look at verse 2 again in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1. And I keep saying look at it. Some of you don't have your Bibles. I'm looking at it, okay? Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Listen to that again. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What does Daniel recognize? Daniel recognized that everything that happens, happens by the sovereign hand of God. That even though Judah was defeated and Jehoiakim was given into the hands of Babylon, God is still in charge. God was no less in charge when he was protecting Jerusalem as he was when he gave Jerusalem up. And Daniel recognizes that God is still in charge. This is significant, so significant, because what Daniel recognized was the sovereignty of God. James Montgomery Boy said this, Jehovah was just as much in charge of the overthrow of Jerusalem as he had been many times earlier in its defense. God is in absolute control. And that's really the theme of the whole book of, of Daniel. God is in control, the sovereignty of God. God was the one who gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. One commentator says this, The principal theological emphasis in Daniel is the absolute sovereignty of Yahweh, the God of Israel. At a time when it seemed to all the world that his cause was lost and the gods of the heathen had triumphed, causing the temple to be burned to the ground, it pleased the Lord strikingly and unmistakably to display his omnipotence. The theme running through the whole book is that the fortunes of kings and the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees and that he is able to accomplish his will despite the most determined opposition of the mightiest potentate on earth. God's in charge. The sovereignty of God is the unopposed rule of God, and it's really the focus of, of every chapter in the book of, of Daniel. Uh, the truth is, is and, and this is something that Nebuchadnezzar learned a, a little too late uh, after he was uh, eating grass like an ox. In uh, Daniel chapter 4, it says in uh, verse 34, it says, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will. And the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Who's going to question God? Is basically the, the, the point that Nebuchadnezzar came to. Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And Nebuchadnezzar understood that earth doesn't rule, hell doesn't rule, heaven rules. God rules. God's in, in charge. God's the one to be, to be feared. And the point I want to leave you with tonight is that, uh, that God wins, right? God wins. It doesn't matter what the chess pieces on the board are doing. 
There's a God whose hand is, is moving all the pieces around. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a queen. There's a hand that's moving you around, right? And God has that hand that's moving you around. The future generations need to know this. The, the people back in Daniel's time needed to know this, and, uh, and we need to, to understand this. Because the knowledge that God is in absolute control gives us the strength to weather whatever storm comes our way. And even, in this, uh, even though this temporary world might be crumbling all around us, we can have hope because uh, God's kingdom is one that will last. The kingdoms of this world are, are going to pass away, but in the end, Jesus wins, and we need to know that we're serving on the, the winning team, and there's really no better book to explain that than, than Daniel. Because it would, be, uh, it would be pretty hard to convince me to fight for a God who's a loser. <laughs> if God's going to lose in the end, we're on the wrong side. You know, but the, the point is, is that, that God does win. So if the Lord's in control, Jesus wins in the end. Young people have every reason to fight for their purity, to battle earthly lusts, to struggle against worldliness, to agonize over holiness, to persevere in adversity, to bear up under trials, to endure persecutions, threats, insults. We have reason to do that because we know that God is ultimately in charge, and, and Daniel understood that. So when the storm struck, when Daniel was taken away from his home, he understood that there's a God who's in charge, even as a teenager. And, and my question is, if, if this happened to your teenager, I ask this about myself, if this happened to my teenager, if my, my teenager was ripped away from my home and carted off to some land where I couldn't get to him, and, and that's just it, that's the last I see of my, my teen, would my child be prepared to stand up in the face of adversity? Do they have enough confidence in God that they'd be willing to stand up even in the face of, of possible death? Do I have a child like that? Do you have children like that? The only way that we will is if, if they understand who their God is. That is the only way they can stand, if they understand who their God is. I open up with that uh, illustration of the, the Tittle family. And I, I just want to close with uh, something I found on a, on a Facebook post. This was written by... Uh, Rob's daughter, who's 19 years old, listen to this. Uh, she survived the tornado. She says, Mom and my six brothers and sisters are all right. We have lost three of my family, Dad, Tori, and Rebecca. Prayers would be appreciated. The house is gone, stripped away from the foundation. And listen to this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're, you're not able to say that unless you know who your God is. You don't, you, don't, you, can't, you don't have the words to put to that unless you know who your God is. And like I said, she, she didn't have time after the storm struck to get prepared. She had to be prepared like that before the storm struck. And that's my question for you. Are you prepared now? Do you have this kind of confidence and hope in God now so that when difficulty does come, when persecution does strike your family, when people are ripped away from you, all the security that you might have, you know, in a place like this, when that's ripped away from you, are you able to stand because you know who your God is? Do you have trust and confidence in a sovereign God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, uh, the time that we're able to spend in your word, uh, even uh, briefly, uh, Lord, and uh, we thank you for this uh, beautiful place that we have here to uh, just step aside for a little bit and uh, consider what your word has to say. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, we would be raising children and that uh, as, as teens grow up and leave the home, go off to college, I pray that they would have this kind of understanding of who their God is. They would have an understanding of a God who's in control of every event in life, that they would know that when everything else is uh, uh, cut loose uh, from their lives, that there's one anchor that they can hold on to that's secure, that won't break free, 
because it's anchored in a trust in you, the eternal, sovereign, omnipotent God. Father, I pray that we're teaching our children about who this God is so that even if we were to be removed from them, Lord, that they still know where to go. Father, I pray that we would uphold your word, that they would know that your word is true, is faithful, and sufficient to hold them up through the worst storm that they could face. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.